to Second Peter. As we have said many times in church, chapter and verse divisions did not exist in these letters as they were written. Second Peter chapter two begins with the word but many times if it begins with therefore or something like that we start a little earlier and we're going to today. So I'll begin our reading in Second Peter chapter one, which we've already covered, but you'll see it, it flows right into chapter two here. Second Peter chapter one, beginning in verse sixteen, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it as pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. So, 1 Peter is about the coming persecution 
in kind of theme or, or focus. And Second Peter is in most ways in theme and focus about coming false teachers and false teaching. There, as I said at the beginning of studying this book, remains in some academic circles questions about the authorship of Second Peter, and I describe that as foolish. Second Peter is written by Peter. He says that in verse 1 of Second Peter. There is fairly consistent, and this is very common still, amongst people who I respect. I don't really respect, to be blunt, the people who think that Peter didn't write this book. I do have respect for people who want to spend a lot of time arguing about what false teaching is occurring here. Well, I just, I just want to know, in the time frame, you know, primarily, this is before we've reached the Nicene Creed. It's before. So what are they addressing specifically? Is this Gnosticism? Is this... Guys, I think that I'm willing to state some things today in this sermon strongly that he is teaching against. And the reason is, with the priesthood of the believer, with the power of the Holy Spirit, every single one of us can understand what he's telling us not to be like who not to listen to, and what they're teaching that is evil, what to avoid. Begin with this understanding. One of the false teachings that is incredibly popular for anyone who is suffering is that we can avoid suffering if we go a different route in honoring God than the one that he's prescribed for us. Health and wealth gospel did not have a jet in the time of Second Peter, but it existed. They didn't have prayer cloths that they sold over the internet for a gift of $50, but it existed. They did not have huge crowds of people who they said, I do live in a mansion and God wants everyone to live in a mansion and the only reason you don't have a mansion is because you don't have enough faith. But teachers like that existed. And part of the reason that we start in Second Peter chapter 1 is because the thought that flows through but false prophets also arose starts with the majesty, honor and glory from God the Father received by our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? I'm going to summarize a bunch of things around this one thing. The rejection of Lord Jesus is one of the primary heresies that will always be with the church. But the rejection of Lord Jesus Christ, whom we are supposed to follow, and whom, all First Peter, if we follow, we will suffer in his footsteps. We will suffer in obeying the commands to live like him, to share the gospel like him, to make disciples like he did. It will cause suffering. Jesus is love. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He didn't mess up the sharing of the word. He didn't mess up anything. And he was killed. The servant is not above the master. Lord Jesus Christ, though, is also about the fact, and he uses the term here, and we'll see it again next week. We're going to finish the chapter, and he talks about um, they themselves, verse 19, are slaves of corruption. That word, doulos, the slave word there, is the word that Peter uses to describe himself when he says, translated in the first chapter, bondservant. I'm a servant. I'm a servant. 
The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 talks about slaves, two types of slaves, only two types of slaves. You are one or the other. You are a slave to sin or you are a slave to righteousness. One of the primary areas in which false teachers flourish, seemingly. None of them get away with anything. That's a fact of biblical truth. No one's going to get away with anything. They can reject the final judgment. It doesn't matter. They will be judged. Is that you can avoid persecution in this life by following their lead. If we only are sweet enough, if we're only kind enough, if we only water things down enough, you won't suffer. You won't be persecuted. Everyone loves Jesus. You just have to leave out the help part. Those people are false teachers who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now, there is, there is a shift in this passage talking about false teachers. False teachers often infiltrate good places by secretly bringing in heresies. Uh, we're looking for a pastor for our church. Uh, we're going to interview this person. They seem really sweet. Uh, they seem like they're very biblically knowledgeable. Uh, they've begun to believe that there's no such thing as hell and that no one goes to hell. Everyone gets to go to heaven. Do you think they're going to they're gonna talk a lot about that in their interview with the church? No. Because a Bible-believing church would completely and utterly reject a pastor who teaches that hell's not real. But a credentialed person, a gifted person, a smart person, could get into a church, preach some truth, and then start to sprinkle in some lies. Just as there will be false teachers among you, verse 1, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. But listen, the reason I said lordship earlier, even denying the master who bought them. So, what's one easy heresy to pick out here that's coming, that's around America all over the place? You can follow Jesus perfectly and you'll never suffer. You can follow Jesus and you will never be persecuted. You can follow Jesus and everyone will like you. That is not true. But another lie that's present here that's very clear is the, present of, is the lie that Satan starts with. Did God really say, denying the master, you will be like him if you eat of this tree? It's the elevation of man to be his own master to be his own boss. And it's the rebellion that is in all of our flesh that says, I don't want a boss. Tied in somewhat with the prosperity gospel is web ads. Now, some of you are, are too godly to have experienced the web ads that I see on Facebook all the time um, because you're just, you're just above that. That's not happening for you. Guys, as I'm scrolling and I forget to turn my sound off, I regularly hear those ads that come up there like, do you want to be your own boss? Do you wish you could work for four hours a week and make hundreds of thousands of dollars? That is what I do. Check out my plan. Different plans, guys, by the way. <laughs> Lots of different ways. I guess from trading currency or selling things or supervising people or being 
great at buying stuff in China and selling it on Google uh, ads or whatever. Lots of ways, okay? But the dream for them, the big dream that they're selling, that people are desperate for, is be your own boss. Wouldn't it be great to have no boss? Part of the cultural rot that exists in America is the fact that in almost every business, in almost every part of America, people hate their boss. Well, Clayton, you don't know about my boss. It takes a tipping point, and then the pile-on to bosses begin. I'm not trying to defend Ellen DeGeneres. I am telling you that the reason that all of her employees have started to go, yeah, we hate her, yeah, boo, shh, because she had 1,000 employees. I guarantee you 300 of them hated her the whole time they worked there. I don't know. She, she probably did horrible stuff. I'm not defending her. She's not a believer. But I'm telling you that we all want to be our own boss in our flesh, and none of us wants to have anyone tell us what to do, ever for any reason. And how does that tie in with this passage? Because anyone who tells you that there's a Christianity where you get to make up the rules that suit you best, where you get to edit the Bible so that the things that offend you get deleted, where you don't have to obey God, is a lie. He is in charge, you are not. He is the master, and you are the doulos, the servant, the bondservant. And it's not about, well, you know, I've just been learning and just making some different choices in my life. I'm just trying to get to an actualized place where I'm, I'm able to just choose whatever I like. We've talked as well, and it's in the previous chapter, about growing in knowledge, but then the application of that knowledge, how it has to mean something. If you say, I'm a biblical inerrantist, and you don't read the Bible, it doesn't matter. You're denying everything that you say you believe with the way you live. Oh, oh, let me tell you, Clayton, God is my boss. Great, what's he been teaching you? I mean, I, I don't know if I've heard from him a lot lately. How are you not hearing from God? What, what are you reading in the Word? Aren't you being a little legalistic? I'll tell you another. Going all the way back to here, we know that it exists in some forms, but it's pretty popular now. I don't read the Bible a lot. I go on hikes. We live close to the Great Smoky Mountains. It's beautiful there. And when I sit next to a waterfall and stare at it, that's all the church I need. You know what? I am mostly just ministered to by God when I see little caterpillars crawling on leaves. I mean, mostly that's just how I live my life. Well, guys, if, if while a caterpillar crawling on a leaf is something that you're watching, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you because you've memorized books of the Bible, I can get with that all day long. But if you are instead staring at a caterpillar and engaging in some weird kind of like nature worship, worshiping the creation rather than the creator, and if you are spending this distracted time by just uh, looking at things, and you're not obeying the things God's commanded you to do, it's not okay. It's not right. Denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their sensuality. Sensuality, if it feels good, do it. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Now, guys, we're not going to go into a long exposition on postmodernism. But anyone in the church who tells you that truth is not real 
is a liar, and they're teaching heresy, which means false teaching, lies. They're spreading lies. And we don't have a ton of postmodernist truth deniers within evangelical circles, at least. What's kind of the tricky, uh, the people who are secretly bringing in destructive heresies, is you know, truth is definitely real. It's just we're fallen, and so it's very... It's not just hard, it's just nigh impossible for us to understand and appreciate truth. Uh, I, I, I could be wrong. In fact, I'm wrong about most things, I'm sure. And, and uh, I don't just make some mistakes, I sin all the time. Oh, ugh. so you don't understand sanctification. So you're denying the process of First Peter chapter 1. Uh, sorry, Second Peter chapter 1. Th- here's the thing. We can know truth, and truth changes us. Truth shapes us. Truth makes us more like Jesus. If God is your master, if he is your boss, listen to his instructions. Years ago, I worked for a law firm, and I worked for a particular lawyer. If you're thinking, I bet I know who you were talking about. You're wrong, because none of you have heard of this particular lawyer. But this guy who I worked for, Um, had a a challenging relationship, I would say, with his subordinate attorneys. And so he kept getting in new associates, and at least within a year, but usually shorter than that, he would say, I don't like them, I don't like them, I don't like them. Um, I um, wasn't uh, a victim of that over time, but, but I do remember him chewing me out. And he chewed me out because at 7.30 at night, I was in a store. I don't remember the store. Let's say Walmart. I spent a lot of time in Walmart. And he said, are you writing down what I'm saying? And I said, no, I'm walking, talking on the phone inside of Walmart. And he said, well, get out your notepad and write it down. And I said, I don't have a notepad. And he said, you're a lawyer, Clayton. You should have a notepad and a pen on you at all times. I guess he was talking about a moleskin. I don't know. A big legal pad hard to carry in your jacket when you're in a Walmart. Definitely in the summer. Is that a bulletproof vest? No, I'm just carrying my legal pad in case I get a call. But here's the thing. Although his manner of instruction was not awesome, what he was pointing out is that as my boss, which he was, I needed to be able to follow his instructions, and he didn't want me to forget them, and they were pretty complicated, and they took a while for him to explain. Guys, he's our boss, and he's given us instructions, and much of the time, those who profess that he's our boss aren't reading them, aren't listening to them, aren't learning from them. Oh, Clayton, I'm part of the new part of Christianity that's not so focused on the Bible. Okay? Big megachurch pastor who preached that in the last two years. I don't remember exactly when. We're too focused on the Bible in churches. No. Heresy. In their greed, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Here's one way to tell a false teacher. The garbage they're selling, the lies they're selling, appeal to your flesh and get them money. It's a pretty simple test, isn't it? Rob Bell sold a lot of books by lying to people that in the end God saves everyone. Love wins. 
that love required Jesus to lay down his life on the cross. And Jesus talked about hell a lot because most people will be there forever. And because we love them, we're not going to lie to them and tell them that it's okay to keep running down the road to destruction that they're on. And Peter is warning that these false prophets will be destroyed. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what was going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot... So... Let's just go back in history. We talked about in First Peter because he mentions it there too. Noah, the flood that killed everybody else. Did God really do that? It seems so mean. What did they do? They deserved hell. What? I don't like. I don't. I really. I mean, I love Christianity and and whatnot, but all of this deserve destruction stuff feel very uncomfortable with it. Well, get comfortable with it. Get comfortable with it. Fundamentally, total depravity and the deserved destruction of every single person who has sinned, which is every single person, is really important to understanding the good news of the gospel. The miracle is not that a couple of people deserve destruction. It's knowing that everyone deserved destruction, that he saved us anyway. We deserved hell and he rescued us. So he's going over these destructions that we know about, that we know happened, that we know factually happened, not metaphorically. Uh, I think it was a flood that was localized and Turkey certainly experienced some flooding, but as we all know, geology doesn't. Geology? Not going to go on a long tangent there, but 25,000 years of geology happened in a day when a Mount St. Helens exploded. Okay? Oh, uh, yeah, the, the Grand Canyon, let me explain how that happened. Over millions of years, tiny drips made large... Like, why are there shells halfway down that? Oh, so here's what we need to think about Lot. Lot comes up. False teachers will also promise you comfort in uncomfortable times. Guys, right now, I've had several friends reach out to me in messages and just say, pray for me, I'm feeling emotionally overwhelmed. I don't feel good right now. I'm not doing well. And part of that is putting their hope in circumstances and looking at circumstances. But, there is part of, so there's part of that that's ungodly. But here's the godly part. Look at what happened. When we see people burning Bibles in Portland, the godly response is not Jonah. The godly response is not send down fire bolts on them. When they light a fire, light their hand on fire. Burn them to ashes. That's not the godly response. The godly response is to be grieved and to say they need Jesus. They hate him because his way is the truth and the life. And they're going to go to hell forever and it's a lot worse than the hell they've created in Portland where people are shooting each other and burning things down and pooping in the street. Eternity is worse than that for them, unless they come to know Jesus, and we need to pray for them. And Lot was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, 
For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous, his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Don't get comfortable with sin. That's a fatalistic Calvinism that I've known the impulses of. Well, everybody deserves hell. Yep, they're all acting like animals. That's just sad. Guess they're all going to go to hell. Thankfully, I'm in the elect. So, woohoo! So sorry for all of you, majority people, who are terrible. But I'm not really going to be sad about it. I've expected it. I've come to expect it. I understand depravity well. Animals are going to act like animals. Senseless people are going to act senselessly. No, it should grieve us. It should grieve us. And it should motivate us when we see wicked people acting in a wicked way to love them enough to warn them of their coming destruction. Oh, oh when, they're, when they're doing that stuff, I'm going to avoid them. And if they come on my property, I'm going to shoot them. Guys, I, I get it. I understand the impulse. I very much can tell you I understand that impulse. That's not the way of Christ. And if Christ looked at me when I was a rebel and said, you're a rebel, I don't like what you're doing, so go to hell, literally. That's what would happen to me. It should torment us to see the unrighteousness all around us. The Lord knows how to rescue, rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Do you see the theme? Is this clear? They deny the master. They despise authority. Rebellion. Rebellion is the primary sin that's being talked about here with false teachers. And what do false teachers do? They get you out from under the thumb of God. False teachers tell you that you can be comfortable in uncomfortable times, that you can be rich no matter what. They, they, God doesn't destroy anything because he's a too loving to do that. That the Bible doesn't have to govern you. It doesn't have to edit you. You can edit it. And all of those people are liars who are destined for destruction. Now, here's the shift. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Because their hearts are hardened, they can lie without flinching. Guys, I work with kids, and often in hard conversations, they lie. Guess what? The ones who are bad liars are closer to repentance and closer to doing right and closer to doing well than the ones who are great liars. When they lie and it makes them fidgety and they look away and they, they feel ashamed, that's a good sign. That means their heart is tender. That means that they know it's wrong to lie. When someone can stand in a pulpit and blaspheme the word of God and say, there's many paths and we all get to heaven anyway, that person is very close to their ultimate and final eternal destruction unless they repent. Bold and willful. So they started coming in secretly with destructive heresies. But as time goes on, as the culture gets more warped, as they get richer, they become bold. But these, like irrational animals, verse 12, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant. Now that's an interesting one. Blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant. I told you that people who say, oh, we're not sure who wrote Second Peter, are fools, biblically. But when he says they're ignorant, they're ignorant. He's speaking as someone who witnessed Jesus Christ living on earth a perfect and sinless life. He witnessed him. 
He saw it. So when they deny that Jesus was perfect, when they deny that Jesus was real, when they deny Jesus rose from the dead, they're speaking out of ignorance. They can be speaking from hatred as well, but those people are ignorant people. When they deny that Jesus said that people who don't follow him are going to hell, they are ignorant because Jesus said it and Peter heard him say it. Suffering wrong as they wait. They will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as they wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. This is just a free one. If you are hearing any message that tells you that the goal of your life is to play all day, that's not coming from God. Revel in the daytime. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Everybody's working for the weekend. Right? What's the best day of your week? I don't know. Which day do I have to work the least? God made you for work. That's the way God created you. It's for His glory. And the best thing in our life is to bring Him honor and glory, to bring Him praise, not to revel in the daytime. If that one stings, it's because it's ubiquitous in evangelical culture. Oh, you know, I mean, life, life stinks, but as long as, as long as I get plenty of vacation time, it's good. No, you should be taking pleasure in bringing glory to God through joy-filled obedience that's hard. Jesus was loved by God the Father, and he lived the life of a suffering servant. And we shouldn't think, I get to do whatever I want. I get to have fun. I get to avoid pain. I get to embrace lies. They'll just be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as they wage for wrongdoing. When does the final judgment happen? Oh, finally, at the end, after their death. And all of us are here in life in a short period of time. We will all be dead soon in terms of overall time. This life is quick. It happens fast. But on earth, is it enjoyable? Does it give you meaning? Does it give you purpose? Is it ultimately satisfying to live a life of self-indulgence? No, it's not. It's brutal and painful and terrible for the people who look like they're having fun. If you could interview all the people in those raves and really get them alone when they're thoughtful, they hate their life. And apart from Christ, there is not meaning and purpose and joy. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Who is supposed to be ferreting out deceptions? The elders, the shepherds. And what's supposed to happen to those who are lying while claiming the name of Christ? They're to be disfellowshipped. There shouldn't be ongoing feasts with those people. They're not supposed to be in the church. If someone is a non-Christian and they're teaching lies, bring them to church. Love them. Care for them. If someone is in the church, a wolf in sheep's clothing, claiming the name of Christ and leading people astray, they need to be named, they need to be seen, and they need to be stricken. They need to be removed from the body. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. 
They entice unsteady souls, and that is why we need to get rid of them, right? Because there's people who are sweet and who, I dare say this is most people, if they're surrounded by the right people, bad company corrupts good morals, right? Everybody know that verse? If they're surrounded by the right people, they'll look more and more like Jesus, and if they're surrounded by the wrong people, they'll look more and more like the devil. So, your takeaway, surround yourself with the right people. But the other takeaway is the church must say that when people are enticing unsteady souls, those people can't be amongst us. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. Hearts trained in greed. So, for their own selfishness, for their own greed, for their own glory, the ultimate rebellion goes back to misappropriation of talent, time, and treasure. Everything that we have is a gift from God that is to be stewarded for the glory of God. And ultimately, lots and lots, and we'll look more into other destructive heresies, but lots and lots of heresies can be summed up this way. You're in charge of your life, do what you want, and have fun. The goal of life is to have fun. The goal of life is to enjoy yourself doing what you and your flesh want to do. It's a lie. We have a master. He bought us with a price. You are not your own. Therefore, honor God. Our goal in life needs to be to bring Him honor and glory through walking, through persecution, through danger, through toil, knowing that His love is always with us and that what He's called us to, His will for us that is good, pleasing, and perfect, brings us through painful circumstances, brings us through challenges and trials. But they bring Him glory. And ultimately, His glory is all that ever matters. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a time where false teachers are selling more books than orthodox, God-honoring teachers. Where old people continue to think they're part of a new age. Where self-worship has infiltrated the church to the extent that it's preached openly without hesitation by false teachers. Lord, give us discernment for those who teach the lie that there is no hell. We pray for repentance. And until they repent, we pray that they will be marked and not allowed in our pulpits. For those who teach that we can be comfortable and accepting in uncomfortable, unrighteous times, we pray that we will be grieved, that we will bring our grief to you, and that we will not pray for the destruction of our enemies, but we will pray for the repentance of our enemies. There are lost people who hate you, who hate your word, who hate standards and authority, who despise you in their rebellion. And we see ourselves in them. Lord, for us, we pray for a hunger and thirst for righteousness that leads us to the word that we will pour into it, that we will meditate upon it, that we will let it change us, 
We want to be servants who bring you honor and glory. And at the end of our lives, hear you say, well done. Give us the strength and power to do that through the Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.